You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday night. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How is everybody doing? It is so fucking cold outside, and I work a night shift, so I I, uh, I was freezing my balls off this morning on my way out to my car. Uh, but hey, you know, at least it's 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 December and it's supposed to be cold. So hopefully the snow will fall. We'll get just enough snow for it to be a nice Christmas, and then the snow will all just disappear, and uh, we can jump straight to March or April, and uh, and and we don't have to deal with winter. Uh, anyway, uh, my guest tonight uh, is uh, Matt Zacharias from uh, Washington Community College. I'm taking a film uh, class with him at the at the moment. Matt, thanks for being with me. Oh, it's an honor to be here. Uh, so, uh, we'll, we'll jump right into the interview. Um, I, I always start my, uh, my guests off, uh, uh, with, uh, the same question. The question is, where were you born? I was born at, uh, Henry Ford hospital in Detroit, Michigan. Okay. And, uh, did you grow up in Detroit or where did you grow up? I was here until I was about five. And then, uh, my mother and I moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I grew up from ages five to 15 in Florida. Oh, really? Yeah. And how did you come back then? Uh, <clears throat> I did my tenure with my mom, and then uh, from 15 on, I moved in with my dad and uh, finished. I went to wound up going to three high schools in the Detroit area. Oh, really? Yeah. So, um, so yeah, finished uh, my high school experience in Rochester, Michigan, and um, uh, and here we are. Yeah, <laughs> jump right to the present. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but well, uh, what, what? Tell me about your childhood. Then, like, what were you into, and like, what kind of a student were you, and all that kind of stuff. Well, um, I was a pretty shitty student um, from – well, that's not true. I, I was kind of off and on. I, there were years where I really put a lot of time into it and then there was a lot of years where I was really just uh, busy playing guitar and things like that. I mean I, my whole – was, I've always been interested in creative sort of projects and – uh, you know, from middle school to high school, I I just wanted to be in a punk band, and if I wasn't playing guitar, I was trying to find some, find a drummer or bassist, and you know, eventually, I, I we we formed a band in high school. Really? So you you were a musician, then? So you are a musician? Uh, I wouldn't say that I am one. <laughs> uh, I kind of was one. Uh-huh. What was the band called? Uh, the band that we had in high school, we called ourselves the Triffids. The Triffids. Yeah. D- from Day of the Triffids? Uh, the- yeah. The bass player borrowed it from that movie, that horror film, the B-horror B film. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we we just made a lot of noise and it was very garagey and and very abrasive. And I had a, a big muff distortion pedal that I used for every song and there was nothing soft or nice about any of it. Mm-hmm. But so, when did you uh, get into film and editing and all that kind of stuff? Then was that around the same time, or? Well, I, <clears throat> you know, as a kid growing up, uh, I was always in front of the television set, and my mother always took me to movies. Uh, I remember she she took me to see American Graffiti when it when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that was like seventy three. I was about five or six, and. Uh, so I always loved movies and I always loved TV. I watched, you know, spent uh, – part of the reason why you asked earlier about my – what was what kind of student I was, uh, part of the reason why I wasn't really that skilled as a student is because I just gravitated towards visual arts and 
visual sort of stimulation like TV and playing with GI Joes and stuff like that. So, um, what was your question? Oh, I, well, I, it was it was what? When did you get into film and editing? Oh, oh okay, like, what yeah, kinda, yeah. What, what age was that around? Like, uh, I that, guess I guess a better way to put it would be like, when did you uh, kind of know or want to do this for a living? Because you're you you're you're an editor. Like that's that's your bread and butter, right? Like, you know. uh, yeah, that that was my first first job mm-hmm. after I finished with college. But um, I, you know, I didn't I didn't understand really that filmmaking was something that anyone could do until. I was about 20 mm-hmm. and you know, I, 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 you know, I, when I finished playing music, uh, I stopped that completely cold when I was 19. I just quit. Really? You just, and you never went back. No, huh? never. Um, was, if you don't mind me, like, was it, could you like, what was the reason for that? And like, uh, uh it's, it's interesting yeah. you asked that. Um, there was a, um, <laughs> there was a band called Spawn Ranch mm-hmm. that I saw in, around 86 and when i saw them perform and play i re- it, it was a reflection of what a what a huge poser i was really yeah i i was i realized wow those guys are what they're doing is real what i'm doing is not and so it's time to close this chapter and you know, sign up for reagan youth and and be an adult and <laughs> stuff like that did so, you actually sign up for reagan youth uh, kinda. <laughs> um, so anyway, I, I I quit playing music, and you know, I said, okay, I'm going to go to college now, and you know, do what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was an English major at first, and I was learning to write. And for all the years that I had blown off in school, I had to kind of overcompensate for in college. And so I attended Lansing Community College and learned to write. And I was starting to get bored with. Just a liberal arts major. I mean, it was it was interesting, but I I, I had these creative sort of impulses, and so uh, around the summer of '89, I decided, or spring of '89, I decided I wanted to make a movie. Um, so once I decided I wanted to make a movie, I at that point changed my major to film, uh, to started studying film at U, at U of M, University of Michigan, and and uh, Completed that degree, and then I, like you said earlier, I uh, wound up becoming an assistant editor and got into the field that way, working around the Detroit area. Could you tell tell us about that first job that you had as an as an assistant editor, and like where it was and what you were doing? It was a yes, it was in Southfield, Michigan. It was a a, a post production facility called Telepost, and um, I was the assistant to the chief editor there, and you know. When you're an assistant to the editor, I mean, all you're doing really is, uh, at the time, shuffling tapes, uh, getting coffee for people, mm-hmm. being nice, you know, <laughs> stuff so like just that. just PA stuff, basically. Kind of, yeah. yeah. Indoors, though, mm-hmm. you know, indoor PA. Yeah, it was kind of like, uh, yeah, it was it was, you know, I, I I had nothing to complain about. I had access to coffee all day. I could sit, and while I was sitting there, and the editor was working away, I would work on scripts and write down things on post-it notes for movie ideas and stuff like that. So Okay. And uh, so when did you start, uh, you know, editing full-time then? Like when did you – when did that you, – you graduate from assistant to, to the actual editing? Yeah. Within two years of, of working there as an assistant, they had an Avid system, which at the time in 94, those were brand new. Um, is your audience like into – 
You can talk about it. We'll Video assume stuff. they are. Yeah, we, <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope so. Yeah. I don't want to put anybody's sleep too quickly here. Um, so they had an AVID system, and it was the first of its kind. It was 94. It was the first nonlinear editing system. So I learned that. I learned how to use that um, and, uh, you know, uh, conquered those technical skills. And uh, I actually was using the that editing system too for a lot of my own – like art projects and things like that. So mm-hmm. who would you consider your influences to be as far as like filmmaking and editing and all that stuff? Oh, um, well, when I was in film school, you know, I, you know, David Lynch was a big deal and, you know, Stanley Kubrick's always been a religion that everybody, you know, subscribes, subscribed and subscribes to, um, you know, I learned about those guys that when I was in my early twenties and I thought what they were doing was really interesting um, but y- you know, the, the way things are now, I, I don't really find myself like, and my, you know, students will ask me, well, who's your favorite director? Well, there's no favorite directors anymore. Now to me, there's, there's like what I refer to as perfect storm movies, mm-hmm. you know, where, uh, the right director, the right script, the right story, the right cast, the right acting, the right everything kind of just like magically combusts at the, at the right time for the right reasons. And, and then you have hopefully a, a great movie. You know, I mean, I'm like, I'm like any, anyone else who wants to go to the movies and see something cool and be challenged and entertained at the same time and hope that I'm going to get my ass kicked by a great story. You mm-hmm. know, those don't happen very often, I find. No, well, when was, what was the last uh, sort of golden ratio of a film that you, that you saw, um, would you say? The, the last movie that really like thoroughly kicked my ass was uh, the big short. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So- I, I, th- I thought that was really strong. Um, in fact, it, it even kind of reminded me in a way of like a modern day um, Dr. Strangelove. It wasn't about nuclear disaster, but it was about economic disaster and it was a dark comedy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I like dark comedies. Uh, you know, it, it was, it was like horrifying, but they wove comedy into it. Uh, you know, all those weird cameos with Anthony, Bord- Anthony Bourdain and, uh, just, uh, it was the first movie too, where I really saw Ryan Gosling. Uh, I, he's been, I know he's been around for like 10 years or whatever, but he he along with I would say Christian Bale who I had already seen in other things too was really I've always been impressed with him you know as Batman and then he was great in the Fighter and stuff. Um, I Big Short just I could Gosling just blew me out of the wall. I just couldn't believe how amazing his performance. was. I mean everyone in the movie was strong. Mm-hmm. And it was a great story. It was based on something that really happened. It's based on something that affected a lot of people. You know and. Um, we don't – I don't see movies like that come around that often where um, the, 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 again, it's like the perfect storm kind of project. Right. Everything you know? just kind of works. Oh, yeah. It's it's tight. There's not really a, a loose a loose screw in the whole thing. So. so that was a couple of years ago now then. So you haven't – you would say you haven't seen anything in the past couple of years that, uh, that did that for you, huh? Well, I mean I've watched that movie like over and over. Mm-hmm. You know, I get, I get kind of obsessed on – films um let's see what uh I, I, I thought moonlight was really cool i actually like la la land too i was gonna say because la la land for me like i i liked it it wasn't people were acting like it was this you know masterpiece for the ages which i don't know if i would go that far but it was definitely i would say you said the right actors 
the right screenplay, the mm-hmm. right director. It was a musical. It was like nostalgic with you know without being you know too derivative of its influences. You know, it did it. It, it seemed modern in a you know in a way that uh, that wasn't uh, cliche or anything. And um, you know, so when you said that, I when you said Perfect Storm, that was the first one that came into my head. Where I was like, everything just kind of worked on it, and it seemed like it was the world was ready for it, and the universe wanted it. Um, but the the Big Shark, I really liked that movie. I remember seeing it. Um, I remember liking the the uh, the narration of the camera, how characters yeah. would uh, would break the fourth wall. Um, and uh, you know that 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 crew is doing a, a Dick Cheney biopic next, right? And Christian Bale's playing Dick Cheney. You gotta be kidding me! No, that's their next. Wait, uh, same director? Same too? director? Adam McKay. Adam McKay. Adam McKay yep. Okay, wow. Yep. Who would have thought after you know the Anchorman movies that well, that guy? Well, would and be. he did uh, Talladega Nights. Yep. Yep. I, I think I think that someone told me that The Big Short was the first movie he had done without Will Ferrell. I don't. It may be. I. 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 All I knew is that he was a comedy guy. I think didn't he do Step Brothers too? Was, yeah, was that him? Yeah. yeah, which is like I love that. that was yeah, a classic. So he was known for these. I mean, they were good comedies. You know, mm-hmm. they were. But the the big short was this kind of other level for him. Like, I mean, even if people don't think it's a perfect storm movie, you could still look at it and go, "That's definitely a step up, couple steps above what he had been doing for the past for the previous decade." Well, and in the, in the restrained humor that was kind of woven through it, mm-hmm. you know, and taking on a a big real topic, and also that book is, um, I you know I. Like an idiot, I have not read the book. Me um, neither. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I felt like they took this this topic and sort of spoon fed it to us in a, in a very entertaining way. I really like Moonlight. I love coming of age stories, mm-hmm. and I thought that was like a really great the way they sort of divided that 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 kid's life up from you know childhood to his teen years to his early twenties, and you know all of the struggles that he experienced. You know, yeah. as a young man, I thought I thought that was really super believable and and strong, really strong, dramatic. Yeah, definitely, the 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 portrayal of loneliness in that film, I think, is, is isolation. Yeah, the isolation when he's when he meets up with the. I mean, not to spoil anything for anybody that hasn't seen it. If you haven't seen it, go freaking see it. I mean, I won Best Picture last year. It's you need to see it. But uh, it's good. Uh, it that end of that movie where he says to the to the guys like I haven't touched anybody since you and and, and all this like that was just he, he he just has this this air about him of like you said isolation and and that was really and that restraint powerful. too that yeah. restraint yeah you could really it was palpable like that what what he was going through you could feel it you could really feel it it wasn't just like hey I'm watching this it's like making you feel what they felt yeah you yeah, know yeah so um but it, you know. Uh, before, I, I mean, uh, you know. Well, I, let me. I, here's here's a question. Um, before before we get back to you, but I really sure. I really want to know. Uh, like, what is your favorite Perfect Storm movie? Like, what's the movie that, like that you always reference when somebody asks you? Well, you I know? always I, uh, Fight Club is definitely in the top three, probably of mm-hmm. of all time. Um, uh, Chinatown, I would put that up there, and then probably Midnight Cowboy. Those are three, you know, all you know, go to movies that never don't work. And that kind of spans the era too. You got the you know the sixties and seventies, and then the, the late nineties. And so that's that's uh, I I have to say I have not seen Midnight Cowboy. It's I'm, I have a list on my oh, phone yeah. of movies I need to see, and that's on there. Yeah, it it, it it's fantastic. It's really strong. Another really killer movie. Uh, 
children of men. Oh, hell yeah. Yep. I, I, I mean, when I, uh, one of my students loaned me the DVD like probably a year after it had come out and I missed it. Um, so we're talking like 07. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the box and looking at the, you know, I didn't read too much. I didn't want to read too much, but I could just tell that it was like, it took me six months to watch it because I knew it was going to level me mm-hmm. and it did, you know, for all the right reasons and all the wrong ones too. It's one of those, like it's, it's a futuristic movie, but it's also feels like it's right around the corner. Yeah, exactly. You know, there I mean, aren't flying cars or anything. Right. I mean, it's, I mean the premise of, I mean the whole premise of, uh, of you know, the, uh, um, just, just the way everything looked and every, the way everything felt. And- well, that's Alfonso Cuaron. Like he, he is, he is so good at. I mean, he did the the best Harry Potter movie, in my opinion, was directed by him, the the Prisoner of Azkaban, and it had that kind of same. In fact, he might have done it right before he did Children of Men, um, but it had that same kind of everything just seems gray, you know, and, and like and and drained of life and. Uh, and the violence in that movie is is horrifically realistic. Right. When people get shot, they don't. It's not like an action movie where a guy gets right. shot four times and he's still running. It's you get shot once and you're done. You know. Well, I remember like Clive Owen. There's that scene where they escape from that 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 crooked cop who's he's like shooting him down that he's he's shooting at him down that hallway and yeah. they kind of narrowly get out that steel door. Yeah, yeah. And two things happen there. He. He picks up a car battery and bashes his head in. Yeah, yeah. And then he, while he's running in his flip flops, he cuts his foot, and, and it just was so not Bruce Willis. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. <laughs> it was like it, 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 what he was going through seemed like he was a real true human, every man yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was a killer, killer film. And you know what else is great about that movie is like you watch it now and you recognize like half the people. When I first saw it, I didn't know who. I can't pronounce his name. Chawai. I'm not even going to try it. The guy oh, from 12 yeah. Years a Slave is yeah. in that. Amazing actor. Oh, he was great. Um, uh, Charlie Hunnam's in it. Obviously, Julianne Moore and Clive Owen are the leads. Michael Caine is – I forget that he's in it because he's so not Michael Caine in that movie. He's this old hippie. Yeah. Um, but but anyway, uh, so uh, that's a couple examples of uh, Perfect Storm movies. Uh, uh, why don't you tell me about uh, – because you got some stories for me, so I, w- I want to get to those. But um, before we do, the last thing I'll ask you is uh, – uh, about your your career up until this point is uh, is Washtenaw. Can you tell us about how you started teaching at Washtenaw and, and and all that? Yeah, they were in the fall of '06. They were um, my friend of mine, Dan Cure, who's one of my colleagues there. He uh, he invited me to to apply because they were looking for a second full time person, and uh, and at the time I was really really busy with a ton of freelance work, so. Um, I wasn't sure how I was going to be able to do it, and but I applied, and I, I you know, obviously was hired, and um, it's just been a really, it's been a really cool experience. I mean, the students there are are really hungry; they're really driven, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I should mention that's how I met you. Is I'm I'm in your film class, so that's yeah. I, I, I know I mentioned that at the beginning, but that is you know, and then. You didn't. It turned out it's so funny because you didn't. Uh, I didn't meet you through my dad, but you turned out that you knew my dad. Yeah. So yeah. from like twenty years ago. So yeah, I played hockey against your dad. Um, I edited a lot of your dad's footage that he shot for a couple of documentaries, uh, 
In fact, weren't you one of the little kids in that little sword fight? That no, that, those were my brothers. Okay, so okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a uh, scene that he staged with these with your two brothers sword fighting with sticks in yeah. the middle of this field. Great, sh- great scene, great shots, great footage. Uh, and uh, when you when it when you told me that it was your you know that uh, your father was Mark Berg, I was like, no way, I know Mark Berg. So mm-hmm. it's a small world, yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, so uh, what, what do you got going on currently? Like, what are your uh, current projects? Well, the the most recent one is a documentary about a band called Spawn Ranch. I actually mentioned them earlier. I mean, they were they were kind of the catalyst that that led me to giving up playing music, which was a good thing. It right, a, it was a good life lesson to to see them. I have to ask. I know they're probably named after the Spawn Ranch from the Manson family, but did they spell it like the, the comic book character Spawn Ranch, or is it? Is it's, it a, it's spelled the same way as the S-P-A-H-N. George Spawn from the Manson era. Thing. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, so in uh, the summer of '86, I a friend of mine. Um, had had seen them and invited them to play at his house and me and a, about 20 people were there. And uh, I just remember walking into this house and I mean, this, this was like my best friend from high school was throwing this party. And um, <clears throat> when we walked in there, they were, you know, it was very dark and the music was picking up and it was just a, you know, I don't want to call it jamming because they weren't, jammers but it, it was almost as if they were channeling something uh something deep i the, the the music was really strong um the singer was really a gifted singer he had an enormous range um the drummer had his very particular interesting kind of style and and, and come to find out i mean these guys these were guys who got together who really weren't really ever officially musicians they just dove in and kind of went for it and and they wound up you know working with their limitations as as as, as not being musicians they they mustered up some pretty interesting music mm-hmm. they put out a record they were together for 5 years and when they were together in Detroit <clears throat> they were kind of a go-to band that warmed up a lot of groups that you know we all know now such as Sonic Youth the Jesus and Mary Chain the Swans my Bloody Valentine, uh, they warmed up Psychic TV, the Butthole Surfers. You know, they were they were always a good fit with those type of groups, you know, between like say 85 and 80 – between 85 and 90. Okay. And, and there's a record company in Los Angeles coincidentally that it just put out um, – their record uh, or a uh, a reissue of compiled recordings mm-hmm. uh, about half of them i would say probably were never released before um that's it's the record company is called uh, dias records it's d a i s and um so the documentary has been kind of moving concurrently with this release the release of the record came out last year and hopefully we'll have the movie put together in 18 and the the movie, it, it, it kind of you said they were together from about eighty five to ninety. Does it just kind of cover that span of their of all? And then what happened? What happened to them after that? I mean, did they just break up, or well, the guitarist um, Brad Horowitz was accepted to MIT, mm-hmm. um, and he was in computer engineering at Michigan. He got accepted to MIT. He now works for 
uh, he works for Google. And, um, you know, he, he, I mean, he basically just said to those guys, look, you know, I love you guys, but I, it's MIT. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to MIT. <laughs> That's, yeah. there's not going to really, I, so he left for MIT and one, after he left, um, they never officially broke up, but they never officially got back together. I, I was, I said to Odell, the drummer, I said, it sounds to me like you guys had kind of like a permanent hiatus. And mm-hmm. said, yeah, that's a good way of putting it because, you know, there was never like, okay, man, the band's over. There's none of that official kind of, you know. It was just kind of, well, Brad's leaving and maybe if he comes back someday, then we'll, we'll do we'll do more. But uh, yeah. you know, it's been, I mean, what, almost 20 years now. What what inspired this documentary? Like, I mean, you said that they, they were the reason that you, you saw them and you're like, well, what's the point really? But you know, as far as music went for you. But um, what what you know at this point, like, what inspired you to to start working on this? Well, I mean, I I've always loved music, you know. I mean, and when I saw them play live, I'd never seen anything like it. I never heard anything like it. Um, you know, they were a three piece. I mean, there was one guy on guitar. Uh, Brad was on guitar. Odell was on drums, and Bob was the singer. And uh, later they acquired a bass player and his name was Hobie about roughly about midway through that five year period. Um, and what, what they were doing musically was just, it was just too real. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, it's like talking about those perfect storm movies, the ones that we just go, you know, the ones that work, you know, that's kind of like what they were doing with music. Um, and I can't even compare them to really anybody else because they don't – they never sounded like anything I'd ever heard before or even after. Hmm. So around 90 – honestly, around 1996, I remember my Bob, the singer, he and I became close friends after you know I got to know them and stuff. He was spending time in India and he was working in an ashram over there. And I said to him, I said, you know, if you guys aren't going to get back together, I'd really love to – produce a documentary about the band and just kind of capture your, you know, do an encapsulation of, you know, what you guys went through and what you guys accomplished, you know, because they had, they put out a couple, there was was an album, there was a cassette, they had played all those gigs, Mm -hmm. you know, they had this little career and I I knew that if, if, if someone didn't document it, then we'd never hear anything about these guys ever. Um. And I remember standing in my driveway in Detroit and he handed me this box of cassettes and photographs and basically his archive. Mm-hmm. And that was in 1996 and that sat for a long time. Um, and uh, he passed – he pa- he had passed away in 08 and after he had passed away, I, I was just like, OK, I have to fucking do this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to get the movie done. I need to tell their story. Um and on a personal level too, it was – I mean I've, after working on this for a couple of years now, I feel like uh, sort of my way of bringing, bringing him back to life in a weird way too. Mm-hmm. You know, I really want people to know what he accomplished with his music and, and that also goes for Hobie and, and Brad and Odell too. Okay. And you said it would be within the next 18 months, you said? I'm, no, I said 2018. 2018. Oh, yeah, my bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't push me into 19 here, dude. Everybody's uh, – yeah. I, I The sooner we get it put together, uh, 
the better. I'm looking forward. And to are you going to are you looking to distribute it, or how are you going to how you going to get it out there? We're we're gonna we're gonna finish finish the film first, then we're gonna get it into some festivals, and then kind of see where things go from there. Well, I'll, I have to look them up now because after a review like that, it's like you know where you said like it seems like they're channeling something. You know, like I was. I mean, we we played Nirvana at the beginning, and when you watched Nirvana live videos from when they were around. You're right. That is a perfect way of putting it. Like it's, it feels like it's not quite them. It's like they're this one entity that happens to be channeling this energy. And it wasn't just Nirvana. I mean, you watch Zeppelin, you watch any of the great, even like Michael Jackson doesn't even have to be rock music, you know, any great performer. It seems like they've been possessed sort of by this otherworldly energy. And, uh, and it's, it's sort of revealing itself to you through them. Um, and it also can happen through movies. It can happen through really any kind of art. You know, I, I feel like absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, but uh, that's awesome. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. But you you wanted to kind of tell us uh, about the uh, this one of the songs that we're going to be playing because then that'll kind of segue into it, uh, the oh, yeah. the whining part of the show. Yeah, and I'll. Um, so I'm not sure. Do you want to talk about it now, or do you want to talk about it when we come back? Well, I, I, yeah, we'll talk about it when we come back. But all I, I mean, I'll let you set the song up. You, you, that's your turf. Okay. Well, we're going to take a, a quick uh, about about ten minute break here, um, and. Uh, and we will uh, we will be back, and we'll we'll hear about the song. The song that Matt's going to be talking about is the first song I'm going to be playing. It's by Blur. It's called "This Is a This Is a Low," and uh, here it is right now. Hey, hey, everybody! American Winer PodcastDetroit.com. We are back. All right, that first song that we played again was by Blur, and it was called "This Is a Low." And Matt has a a, a story uh, relating to that. So, Matt, why don't you take it away? Yeah. Um, well, I know that uh, the theme of this show is to is to whine. Yes, yes, and this will this will kind of touch on our whining uh, yeah, segment of the I, show I, as well. I, so, I, I feel an ob- I mean, the only thing I can muster up is uh, <clears throat> Blur and the Flaming Lips are, are kind of like a religion for for me and um and blur for some reason in the united states are not really that popular i've i've tried to i've bought the disc for the 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 disc 13 is the one that to me is like their big it's like the white album kind of mega kind of record you know i mean Mm -hmm. i love all their stuff but the later stuff i kind of gravitate towards more and um their recent record called Magic Whip came out in 15 and the one that had come out before that was um, uh, was called Think Tank, which came out in 03. And so they had – they took 12 years off between recording and uh, I – for 12 years, I was like – I mean picture like a dog in a window like <laughs> looking out yeah. waiting for the – their their master to come home, you know, and they're you know, but, but as you're picturing that, they don't see you. They're alone. Yeah, yeah. And their head sort of pans back and forth, you know, waiting, Just waiting. Yeah, that that's kind of what I I did for twelve years. Waiting for Blur, huh? Waiting for Blur to record again. And so, you, so were you not into Gorillas? Because that's what he was doing. Oh no, in, I in that, in that span love the Gorillas and Graham Coxon, the guitarist, which no one has. I've never. He has nine solo records, which are phenomenal. That's prolific as hell. Like, yeah. Wow. From 98 to the present, he's he's always put out his own stuff. And it's really strong, really good. Um, uh, so, yeah, that, 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 that would be the silver lining. I mean, that's interesting you point that out, that 
because they weren't together as Blur, we got all these other bonus projects. And then Damon Albarn also had a solo album in 14 and he did this other project called Molly Music and that's a fantastic piece. Um, so yeah, maybe I should just stop whining. Well, no, I mean, it's, the thing is, is like, and I, I think I said this uh, to every time a guest comes on here and is like, I don't have anything to whine about. I'm like, you know, they're like, they act guilty. Like there's something wrong. I'm like, no, that's a good thing. That just means you're an adult. That's all that means. Is, well, is I, that you... <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. Alex. That might be a stretch. <laughs> but, um, but no, so I mean, well, um, so there was a, a, you said it was 03 to 15. So yeah, 12 years. So, you know, how did the dog in the window react when you find, when he found out that there was going to be a, another blur album coming in, well, in 2015? I mean, you know, <clears throat> it, it arrived like, uh, like in an Amazon package or whatever. I, I don't even remember if it was Amazon or if it was directly from them or what. But yeah, I mean, ripping it open and putting it on. I mean, you know, it's just like, you know. And how was it? Did you was it was oh, it worth the wait? It's a great record. Yeah, and the weird thing is they um, they recorded. <clears throat> they were supposed to play in Hong Kong for uh, a series of dates that were canceled for for whatever reason, and because they had this five day layover, they rented a studio. And it was a room probably about this size because mm-hmm. there's footage of it. I've seen that online and stuff. And um, they they recorded for four days. They just kind of – I mean even Albarn said, well, I guess you could say we jammed. But, mm-hmm. but he said that's not really what we do. But they did – you know, they just kind of – there was this like outpouring of like original frameworks for songs. Mm-hmm. And then he went off and did his solo thing, and then Graham Coxon took all his recordings, and he and Stephen Street kind of produced that. Uh, and as they were putting it together, Albarn saw that it was coming together. He went back to Hong Kong and spent two days to write the lyrics for the the record, mm-hmm. and um, and Graham Coxon uh, supposedly had a pretty strong hand, in, like architecting it. In, across the finish line so okay yeah do they have plans to do anything else anytime Uh, soon or is there going to be another 12 year gap (laughs) i don't know um you know i'm on uh i've on facebook there's a couple of blur fan sites that i there's a there's this guy uh i think think his name's diego he posts things every single day Mm -hmm. either about the gorillas or about blur and so i mean if anything happens i'll i'll know well in advance uh I have to say, like, um, when you came in here, and t- I saw you picked the Blur song for the break, and and I know who Blur is. I knew that Park Life is is like was like their big. That was the the album that was competing against uh, one of the Oa- one of Oasis's albums. I can't. It must have been What's the Story, Morning Glory, or one of those. I can't remember which one, but um, uh, I Blur was like I knew who Oasis was. I always knew who who Oasis because Wonderwall was so ubiquitous. It was like the songs of the nineties are like Smells Like Teen Spirit, and then Wonderwall. Um, and I knew who Blur was because of song number two, obviously. Uh, but um, but I never really. I, I think I bought one of their greatest hits albums when I was in college, and I liked it, but I didn't. It didn't like blow me away or anything. So to hear like all this, you know, even like with Spawn Ranch, which is a band that I'd never heard of until you until just now. Uh, like, there's always this entire life behind all this these these songs and this music, and like it's impossible to 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 really get into you don't have enough time in your life 
to get into every little bit of it, you know. Like I have my top twenty five bands. I have this list that I made, <clears throat> so I just just out of curiosity to see like what, um, you know, like what are my favorite bands, and it just kind of grew it into twenty five. It started with five, and then ended up being twenty five. But like even those twenty five, that's twenty five bands. Like with with you know, God knows how many albums that is, and you know, and so it's it's really interesting um, to hear. Uh, to hear you talk about it like that, because because there's you know there's so much of a of a life behind you know like you said this the the most recent album and and also I'm trying to think of like like something that I can compare it to I've never had to wait 12 years I, well you know what I'm coming up on 12 years freaking Tool has not released an album since 2006 it'll be 12 years next and it doesn't look like it's going to happen but a perfect circle is coming back so I'll I'll uh, I'll take that for now um, but uh, but yeah. I, so we got about uh, we're coming, we got a little less than ten minutes left here. So I wanted to ask you: Do you have anything to whine about that are specific to movies, like or, or editing, like anything you can think of any particular, you know, trend in movies or something about movies nowadays that really bothers you or well, you like know, that? Um, you know, my students oftentimes are like, <clears throat> "Well, Matt, have you watched this? Have you watched that? Have you seen this series on Netflix?" And you know, they're they're always drilling me and making me look and feel kind of stupid because like, I'm always like, no, no, I haven't seen that. No, I haven't seen that. They're like, what? You know, yeah. um, you know, when it comes to, <clears throat> when it comes to artists, music, uh, painters, sculptors, musicians, filmmakers, I mean, I, I, I it's like, just as you were saying this about, about, you know your top twenty-five. Mm-hmm. I feel like the like music finds the art it chooses that, you, it right? Finds yeah. Us. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it finds us because I, I don't have I'm I'm too old to be hanging out at a record store and digging through the bins looking for new stuff, well, and, well, and that's just not how things work anymore. Anyway, you're right. Well, th- there's that. The, first of all, they say that your your taste is like solidified by the time you're twenty-five. I think is what it is. Like once you have once you're in your mid twenties, like you have your favorite items or whatever because that shaped you as as you were coming of age and it's probably not going to you'll you'll see stuff that you like and you'll see stuff that affects you but it probably it won't have the same effect that it did at that point in your life because it just it just doesn't work that way um and the other thing is like nowadays there's so much content being created it's impossible to really appreciate any one piece of it i don't know how kids do it nowadays i don't know like one of the the biggest shows right now it's called rick and morty i don't know if you've if you've heard about this don't bother looking it up because like I I don't I don't get it. I hear uh like you, your students I'm I'm uh, I'm 31. I'm about 10 years older than the average age of your student and they're all talking like when we were working on this film project they started talking about Rick and Morty and I've I tried to like Rick and Morty. I wanted to like Rick and Morty because everybody liked it so much. And uh it sucks. It really is just it's just the the writing strikes me as really lazy. Um, but they freaking love it. And so it's, it's, I think it's just, like you said, um, I'm past that point where it, it would have appealed to me. And, and maybe if I, in fact, I feel like if I was 10 years younger, I probably would really like it, but because I'm older now and I'm looking at, I can only see the, the stuff that pisses me off. So now is that, is that show a comedy? It is. It's a cartoon. It's okay. a, it's a, like a, the, this, this grand, it's based on uh, the back to the future. It's not actually back to the future, but it's doc Brown and Marty McFly. Right. These characters were originally based on. And that shows you how ubiquitous it is. I've, I've seen it maybe three or four times and I know the backstory of how it came about. But, um, have you seen, uh, have you seen, uh, there's a show called lady dynamite on Netflix. I've heard of it, Maria, but no Maria Bamford. 
Oh yeah, yeah, Maria Bamford. Oh, I haven't seen that, but she's she's funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, her her humor is dark. It's terrifying. It's it works. I mean, I I would put her up there with like, um, who were the two dudes? Um, Tim and Eric. Tim and Eric. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. I mean, it's it's. It's surreal kind of humor. It's like beyond any comedy genre thing that we know of in our molecular structure. Mm. You know, wow, it's it's pretty. It's pretty lethal. This is that just like her stand up, or is it like a fictional show? No, it's a show about her as a working actress in Hollywood. Uh. So it's like it's this like surreal, crazy, satirical, dark view on Hollywood and how the system works and. You know, she has this agent who's really kind of slimy, and uh, it, it it it's just it's just brilliant. And the people that wind up on that show, uh, it's just a great cast and crew. And I, I don't know, I could go on and on about it. But well, um, well, we're coming up on the on the end here. I got to be out of here five minutes early um, for the for the next show. Uh, so um, before we go, though. Uh, First of all, thanks for coming on. It's yeah. been a great talk, and yeah, uh, and um, you uh, your, your Spawn Ranch documentary. There's a website that people can visit to check that out. Yeah, or there will be. Yeah, the it's spawnranchdocumentary.com, and uh, it's it's sort of a we sort of a soft launch that we did um, to put out in conjunction with the release of the album. Mm-hmm. And there's a trailer too. It's a the Spawn Ranch. Uh, trailer is also on uh, on YouTube and you can link to it from the website spawnranchdocumentary.com and that's s p a h n spawn okay yep. correct all right cool well um well we will wrap it up then uh i, I for the like the past 3 shows i've been i've been trying to think of a sign off line and i i don't i like you know, I don't want it to be like stop whining or I, I, it needs to be something like something like, you know, your mother telling you to, to you know, clean, you know, gr- grow up and go clean your room or something like that. I'm, that's what I'm thinking. But I still haven't come up with it yet. So I'm just going to end the show awkwardly like I always do, like a person who can't figure out when to hang up the phone. Um, so uh, so, Matt, thank you again for coming on. Yeah, Alex, thanks a lot for having me. This was fun. And um, and I will be back uh, on Monday. And actually, my guests are uh, going to be Bob uh, Walton Spiel and uh, Dave Phillips, who are the owners of podcastdetroit.com. So um, we'll be talking to them, and uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what to see what they want to whine about. So everybody have a great weekend. I will be back on Monday.